Vera Payne. We have heard for a long time that the Snyder Cut of the Justice League movie is way better than the movie we saw by Josh Whedon. In the next few days, the infamous Justice League Snyder Cut will be released. Managing editor and writer at Fandango.com, Eric Davis, joins me to discuss the upcoming Snyder Cut and why we're even getting this movie four years after the original film was released. Thanks for joining me, Eric. Thanks for having me. So tell me, what happened to Justice League when Snyder left? Well, what happened was they decided to bring in Joss Whedon, who had uh, directed uh, the Avengers movie. He also directed... Uh, the sequel, Avengers Age of Ultron. And so, you know, he had come in to help punch up some of the humor in the script. While Zack Snyder was still making the film, uh, Zack Snyder unfortunately had uh, an awful tragedy in his family. His his daughter uh, committed suicide. And so he decided at that point uh, to step away from the film uh, in order to be with his family. And so at that point, Joss Whedon then became the de facto uh, director uh, of the film, and um, and sort of that's what happened. And so the version that we saw in theaters is is definitely has a lot of Zack Snyder shot footage in it, but it also sort of has a lot of the new footage that Joss Whedon then shot in order to punch up some of the humor in the film. Now, I tried looking this up, and I couldn't find an exact, exact number, and maybe you know it. How much of the mm-hmm. Snyder Cut actually got into the, with Josh Whedon? Was it like a 70-30 type of movie? Well, it's hard, because you have a couple of different things happening. You have the footage that Zack Snyder shot. You have the original intentions of the story that Zack Snyder wanted to tell. Uh, And then you also have music, too, because I think music does factor in a lot of the music that is in this new cut of Justice League is different from what we saw before. So it's hard when you say how much of the Snyder cut was there originally. Oh, yeah, a lot of the footage that he shot was there. But the story and a lot of the intentions of the character were not there. Extra scenes that helped develop the characters more were not there. And a lot of the music was not there. And so, you know, that is sort of when I look at the differences, I have to look at the different kinds of ways that a story is told, not just kind of boil it down to the the scenes that he had shot, because a lot of that is, is still there. So during my research about this movie, because I really wanted to know what percentage exactly was who and what, and I couldn't really find it. But anyways, I did find out that the studio was giving um, Snyder a lot of trouble. At one point, they wanted it darker, and he was like, okay, I'll try to make it darker. And then they're like, hey, hey, hold on. Now we want it funny. And Snyder's like, which one do you want? And then he lost his own vision. So even before Josh Whedon got involved with this movie... This um, Justice League was already plagued with a lot of pulling from the studio, or was that just rumors? Well, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of us don't exactly know what happened, and so what we do is we we look to see what people who were involved in the film are saying publicly. And Zack Snyder has said publicly that there was some some twisting of arms and some and some pulling. You know, I think that based on what he says, you know, Warner Brothers felt like they were in a tight spot. Uh, not only did they feel like they needed to catch up to Marvel. You know, Marvel was already through Avengers. They they had already done their team up movie, and so I think there was a, a, an element of catch up that need that that they felt. But then also, you know, Marvel was was very successful at these these movies that had a lot of humor to them, humor and heart. And Zack Snyder's uh, sort of tone 
was a bit darker. And so I think that there was pressure there, and, and Zack Snyder has even admitted, to sort of add more humor to it. And that's part of the reason why they brought Joss Whedon on. And I think once Joss Whedon came on board uh, and they kept giving him more and more to do, uh, it's, it, became, it became obvious that the film that the studio wanted was now much different than the film the director wanted. And then when you add on the, the life tragedy to that too, that all of those sort of came together as a perfect storm, you know, to, to sort of have Zach be, uh, to leave the project completely. And so I think there were a number of factors, but if I were to kind of look at one uh, and boil it down to that being one of the major, maybe missteps, it, it, it would be in, in, in trying to really punch up the humor um, in, a, in, a, in a story or in a film that didn't necessarily warrant it or didn't want it, because then it feels forced. And I think a lot of that humor in that original theatrical cut did feel forced, and it did not align sort of with the characters that we had seen previously. Remember, this is a third film for Zack Snyder. This is sort of like a trilogy. If you look at Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, and then his Justice League, you know, even though we have a Wonder Woman movie in there, an Aquaman movie in there, it does feel sort of like a trilogy in that sense. And and that third theatrical cut of Justice League just felt completely tonally and visually different than the films that had come before that. Yeah, I have to think of this particular Justice League as like a Frankenstein type of movie. You can feel a little bit of Josh Whedon. You can feel a little bit of a Zack Snyder and all you made was a monster. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's in, in the effort to sort of uh, appeal to as many people as you can and in an effort to sort of have your own Marvel-like billion-dollar hit, uh, you made what you what you refer to as a Frankenstein. And it really does feel like a Frankenstein. And that's why I really enjoyed this director's cut, this Zack Snyder's Justice League, even though it is four hours and it does feel a bit bloated in spots because, I mean, a four-hour movie is going to feel that way. It does feel... Uh, you know, totally in line with everything that he had done in the DC universe before that. Uh, and there is even some really nice moments of humor that feel organic to the story and not sort of forced in as like a punchline. And so I actually think what they ended up with now is considerably better than the original theatrical cut, which I agree with you, uh, did feel a bit like a Frankenstein kind of movie. Now, I know we call this the Snyder Cut, but I'm a bit miffed about this. Why don't we just call it the original director's cut or an extended version? I mean, why does it specifically have to be called the Snyder's Cut? Well, I think that it's gone from Snyder Cut to Zack Snyder's Justice. And so I think that, you know, the idea there is that this is his complete vision. Even though that original theatrical cut does bear his name as its director, this is a completely different sort of experience. So this isn't an original theatrical cut that added an extra, you know, couple of hours to it. Uh, this is a, a, a new film. And I think he wanted to sort of reintroduce it as its own film versus uh, it being an extended cut. You know, Batman versus Superman has an ultimate edition, which is an extended cut. But this is really something else. This is something unlike we've ever really seen before. And so, it, you know, I, I believe that, you know, at least from the filmmaker's point of view, he felt like it warranted its own sort of designation as its own individual experience that's different from what we had seen before. And so that's why I think it's called you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League and not, you know, Justice League Ultimate Edition or Justice League Extended Edition. 
Now, one of my biggest gripes with Justice League, the original one, is that it really felt like I missed three movies beforehand because they were trying to give so many origin stories in one movie that there wasn't really much character development. As a viewer, I couldn't really enjoy a, a character that much. And if it wasn't for the history of Superman and Batman, I would have felt really lost. Why didn't Warner take the time out to build these characters up a little bit more? And instead, they had all of their standout movies after Justice League. I thought that was weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, just the exact decisions behind that, uh, you know, I, I can't say. I don't know. I mean, definitely from an audience perspective, it does feel like there was a, a sense of catch-up to Marvel. You know, Marvel was already well into their team-up movies, well into their films that had multiple heroes in them. Uh, and so... Uh, I think there was an outcry. They wanted to see a Justice League film. DC fans have wanted to see a Justice League live-action film for a long time. There was one that almost happened a while back from the director of Mad Max Fury Road, George Miller, and that fell apart. And so I think that there, it was time. It was time that, that fans wanted to see a Justice League film, and so they felt like, you know, rather than take another few years to slowly roll out these solo movies, let's get to it. We have this Batman versus Superman movie. Let's set up a Justice League movie in that, and then let's deliver a Justice League movie. So, you know, I think that there was a sense of catch-up there, but I do agree that, you know, not seeing solo movies prior, especially Aquaman, you know, watching, having now have an Aquaman movie and then going back and watching this new cut of Justice League, it, it resonates more with people because we understand more of that Aquaman world. And so I do agree. I think if there was time, if, if maybe they felt they did not feel as rushed, you know, we would have gotten Justice League after the Aquaman movie. And I think it may, maybe it would have played a little bit better. But, you know, I think it was just a, a strategic play from Warner Brothers to sort of do a Justice League movie before they properly rolled out solo films for all of the characters. Why? exactly that is i am i can't say because i'm not a rep from warner brothers but it did feel like there was at least a sense of uh marvel is already doing this so you know we we need to do it now i i really like that they gave Zack snyder a chance to bring his vision out there but i can't help but to think why stop there why not give like who is it cats the director tom hopper why not give him a second chance let's get you know cats <laughs> back out there right or or one of my favorite movies that should have been my favorite and my favorite character was X-Men Dark Phoenix. Give Simon Kingberg, give him a chance to make this movie better because, I mean, if enough fans yell and scream, maybe we can get more movies or was this for other reasons? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things there, right? You know, I think that, you know, it's not necessarily a, a good thing to just let every director have a second chance to make a movie, you know, and, and, and many directors sort of feel like their version of the film is what is produced, you know, and so I don't think you're, you're going to get a lot of directors that, uh, like Zack Snyder, will come out after the fact and say, actually, there's a whole other movie that I have footage for that you are not seeing. So that's, that is something that is incredibly rare. You know, I, there is there is the director of the original Suicide Squad, David Ayer, who also says that there is a significant amount of footage that was not shown in the film. And so there is a bit of a fan, a fan campaign to see his version of Suicide Squad. 
I don't necessarily know if we'll see that because there is already a brand new Suicide Squad coming out this summer from director James Gunn that feels like a bit of a of a, a sequel as, as well as a reboot. So we'll have to see. But, you know, yeah, I, I think that why we aren't seeing this more often is because uh, there aren't many filmmakers and there aren't many films where there is this sort of uh, scenario where there is all this extra footage that was never used and couldn't be added back. Where there is extra footage, uh, we'll see it as special features. You know, we've been seeing, you know, deleted scenes or here's a, an alternate del- ending or here's an alternate beginning. A lot of these films do shoot alternate endings and beginnings. Uh, and depending on what a test audience says, they go with, you know, whatever the audience is feeling uh, like they like the most. And so, you know, we do have that, that a lot. But in terms of an entirely different film, uh, this is a very rare historic circumstance where that is, is that is the case. But, you know, I, you know, will we see more of this in the future, which is the second part, I think, of your question is if fans are sort of become louder and their voice becomes more important in these kinds of things. And will we see more of this in the future? Maybe, maybe we do. But uh, like, you know, I think very specific circumstances will need to exist. Uh, There will need to be a significant amount of footage that for some reason or another was not included in the film in order for for, uh, a filmmaker to have another chance to kind of put forth their original vision. But most of the time, and I would probably say 99% of the time even, that's just not the case. You know, what is shot is what's in the film. And there isn't all of this footage that was left on the cutting room floor. And if there is, we'll see it in the special features of a, of a, of a film. I see what you're saying. It's having an original version versus a reboot. And yeah, it, it makes some sense how if you have enough footage to make a brand new movie <laughs> versus you might as well just reboot it. But I don't know. I think it would be pretty interesting, especially with all these streaming platforms vying for new content. It'd be interesting to see if they'll just start poking at directors and say, hey, you got any footage? <laughs> you know, I mean, it all depends. You know, you know you're not going to see something like this makes a lot of noise because, you know, you're dealing with characters like Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. And these are all, you know, ridiculously popular characters in pop culture right now. And so, you know, you can make an argument to say that something like this is worth it because, you know, you get to put out more content with characters that are beloved around the world, you know, something that that isn't isn't, you know, like that. Uh, you maybe not necessarily will see something like that. But, you know, I, I do think that there is an entire kind of industry of fandom around things that we don't see in original in, in the original movie, you know, and that's why deleted scenes are so popular. That's why, you know, if there is an extended cut or an alternate version of a film, uh, it gets a lot of press because, you know, we're excited about that to see something, uh, another kind of vision of the film. You know, I, I'm always a fan of that original ending to Little Shop of Horrors. I'm a big fan of that musical. Um, and, you know, there is an original ending out there that's completely different than than the film. And, I, and you know, and some, some of this stuff, you know, you hear about, but you never see it until years later. And that's always exciting. But to get an entirely different film is something that I think is super rare and I just don't see it. I see this being sort of um, an exception, but I don't think that this is necessarily going to be something that we start seeing a lot of in the future. I think if we do see alternate versions of scenes or what have you, 
they're going to remain as like special features or maybe uh, in extreme cases they'll release like an unrated cut uh, or or you know a cut that is extended and unrated which is a lot we see that a lot with um, with genre movies now you know that shoot for a bit of a harder R um, and then get some are forced to take out some things in order to to meet MPAA requirements for theatrical release. But then they'll add some of that harder stuff in to the home entertainment release and then call it an unrated cut. You know, I think stuff like that uh, I, I expect to see continue. But stuff like this, I think, is is uh, like Zack Snyder's Justice League, I think, is, is really a one and done kind of thing. With all that being said, how excited are you to return to the movie theaters? <laughs> I mean, I'm... I'm probably one of the more excited people that you'll, you'll, you'll talk to. I mean, not just because I work for Fandango and, and we sell movie tickets and I'm excited for theaters. You know, there's a reason why I do what I do. And it's because I grew up in the movie theater. It, it, it's a significant part of my life. I have so many life moments that I can remember happening inside movie theaters. And so, um, I mean, this, I think, is a pastime that is just as important as being able to go to a baseball game. Uh, or being able to go out bowling. You know, I think that going to the movies is something that a lot of us right now are realizing that maybe we did take for granted because we've been stuck in our houses and we've been dying to go out to the movies. But, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we're sort of coming onto the other side of this pandemic and that things will now slowly get better. More things will will start to open. And these big movies that we've been itching, that we've been waiting for, that have been postponed, will now start coming out. And so I, I am excited, more so than you think, to go back to the movie theater. And I just, you know, I tell people that, you know, just be safe uh, and, 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 you know, be aware of uh, your community and what's happening in your local town. And we have a lot of information on Fandango about safety and what theaters are doing. But yeah, I mean, to watch some of this stuff on the big screen, you know, I've seen a few films that are coming out in the next few months, Mason, that every five minutes, all I thought was, I, I got to watch this again in a movie theater. So I think that we're going to start seeing some of these films come out now where you're going to feel a little bit more like, you know what, I got to see what this looks like in a, on a big screen. And I can't wait to be back uh, back doing that. Now, for me, I can't help but to think of the popcorn. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I may go back to the movies, but the concession stands, it may be dead for me. I may be bringing in my own candy, but don't tell anyone. You know, I mean, I think if you want to help out theaters, if you want to help out your local theaters, especially your local mom and pop theaters, you know, not necessarily the big chains, but those local theaters, you know, they, they make their money on concessions. And so, you know, I understand, you know, I understand that that want and that desire to sort of sneak some candy in, save a little bit of money, you know, but, you know, I think you also have to think of theaters the same way that you think of your local restaurants and, you know, anybody that's spending a little extra money on takeout in order to help your local restaurants, you know, uh, maybe maybe you spend a little bit of extra money at the concessions um, to help these theaters survive. I think that, that that's going to be a key in this next year is to just, you know, any any kind of arts in your community, you know, you'll want that to survive. And, and I think that it's so important for us as a culture. And so, you know, I would be the one to say, hey, you know, I know you don't necessarily go for that concessions, but it would be nice to, to help out your local theaters right now, help them get back on 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 two feet. You know what I'm saying? No, I hear you. It's just I can't help but to think of all the times I let people, especially the teenagers, put the popcorn into the little like uh, container and they weren't wearing gloves. And I'm like, what was I doing? I should have asked them to please put gloves. On. <laughs> There's a lot of that that we think of right now. Right. There's, uh, you know, just 
standing on a packed train. You know, right? I'm from New York. Standing on a packed subway train was just second nature. And now I think of an experience like that, like, oh, my God, these people are going to be so close to me. So, I mean, I think we're finding that out in so many different aspects of our life. And you know what? I think we're all going to come out on the other side of this and just be a lot more conscious about about germs and and, and sort of you know, respecting each other's space. I think there's going to be an aspect of that that I welcome, actually, because because I think pre-pandemic, I don't know how much we respected each other's personal space. And uh, I think that we've all been conditioned now over the last year to be a lot more conscious of that. And you're right. Being very aware of all those germs and all that other stuff, it, it kind of, I don't want to say makes you afraid, but it definitely makes you think twice about going to really public places like this. And this is why streaming services like, you know, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, they're offering movies on their platforms so you don't have to go. Do you think this is going to disrupt the theater scene? You know, I will have to see. You know, I think I think until we're on the other side of the pandemic uh, and things equal out a bit more. Uh, and and we're allowed to sort of return to to more normalcy. That's when you can really sort of take stock in what what has changed permanently, what has changed temporarily. And where are we? You know, I think I, I I like to look at countries that have returned more to normalcy. I have cousins and friends that live in Australia, and you know the theaters are packed, and no nobody has to wear masks, and um, people are are going out in, in force. You know, so. Um, I think until we kind of are in are, are at that level, you know, where maybe we don't have to wear masks anymore and, and we can kind of, there's no capacity limits on anything, only then can you really sort of stick your head up and say, okay, now where are we at now? You know, what, what have we lost? What have we gained? What is the same? At least that's my philosophy. I have to know, what movies that are upcoming this month do you think that everyone should go out and see? Oh, well, can they go out and see? I guess there are some movie theaters, <laughs> right, that are open right now? Yes. I, you know, I would say uh, Godzilla versus Kong, uh, that, big, that big monster matchup coming out at the end of March, I think is something that if you're going to go back to your local theater and you feel safe enough to do so, I would make that your first movie back. I think there is no other sort of film that is, is more worthy, really, than to see on a big screen than uh, a film featuring Godzilla and King Kong fighting each other. That's very much the definition of a big screen experience. And so that is something I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, a couple of weeks after that, we also have a Mortal Kombat film uh, that is coming out that I'm, I'm a big fan of that game uh, and fight movies in general. So that's another one to keep on your radar. Of course, both of those films are Warner Brothers films. And so they will also be available on HBO Max. Uh, if you cannot get out to a local theater, uh, you can watch both of those that way. Uh, but then also, you know, Oscar nominations are out. Uh, we do have a, a list of eight Best Picture nominees. Many of them are available, I think, except for one to watch at home. Uh, so I would say, you know, check out Nomadland. Uh, check out Minari. Check out The Trial of the Chicago 7. I think those are the three frontrunners. Judas and the Black Messiah is another one uh, to check out. And so I would maybe do a little bit of, um, you know, before uh, movies uh, really come back in full, I think maybe from May on, we could see some, some big releases in theaters every week, every other week again. Um, take this time now. Uh, to maybe watch some of those Oscar Oscar nominated movies and 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 uh, discover something great uh, there. So that's what I would say. I would say look for Godzilla vs Kong and Mortal Kombat in theaters. 
uh, and then maybe catch up with some of these Best Picture nominees uh, at home. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. And for those listening, where can they find more information about you? You can find me at Fandango. You can also find me on Twitter. I do a lot of talking over there at Eric with a K, David. This has been the Mason Vera Payne Show. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to hear more? Head to WGNRadio.com for exclusive content by Mason. Also, follow Mason on Facebook and Twitter at Mason Vera Payne. That's all one word. And don't forget to share the show with your friends.